We forgot to record an intro. Oh my god, we did. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, should we just do it here? Yeah, let's just do it. Alright, kick it off, baby. Welcome back to another episode of this Industry Life Podcast. I am your host, Brandon Haskell. And I am your co-host, Anthony Wilson. Today, we have a very talented and very accomplished cinematographer, David Bolin who has a very long list of credits um, ranging from Kendrick Lamar music videos to commercials for Charles Schwab, Google, and Disney. David recently did Some Kind of Heaven, which was produced by Darren Aronofsky and the New York Times and directed by Lance Oppenheim. Yeah, you can go watch... see that documentary. Yeah, it's, it's probably my favorite documentary I've seen forever in all of eternity. Yeah, it's it's really well done, and, and David was such a talent, talented DP on it, and they tried some very different things, and it was such a pleasure to talk to him. He super humble, very cool guy, and yeah, definitely go check out his work and go see some kind of heaven. Yeah, and here's David. Hey, hey, how's David? it going? It's going good. How yeah, are no you? worries. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Doing well. Been busy. Yeah, I was gonna say, were you on set today? Uh, today I was scouting, so uh, I was bopping around doing that. But uh, yeah, how gotcha. are you guys doing? Just chilling, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Sur- surviving the pandy. Nice. Yeah, I know. It's. Uh, I hope it's getting better, <laughs> but. It's been weird being on set with it for sure. Yeah. How has uh how has work been since the pandemic? Um it's been it's been weird. I mean, it's funny. I was shooting a series in India when the pandemic hit and um you know, it was one of those things where it's like it was like okay, March 5th and we we have like 2 weeks of shooting left and we're like desperately trying to get through it all. And, you know, hoping that this pandemic doesn't ruin everything. And we had to shut down production like five days before wrapping. And it was like the most tragic thing. And like, had to like, I was like in US customs as like the Europe ban was happening. It was crazy. That's crazy. Uh, But yeah, I don't know. It's been okay. It's it's weird, man. It's much, I feel like sets are a lot smaller nowadays just because like everyone's trying to keep crews smaller. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like it maybe has hurt you a little bit creatively having these smaller crews? Um, you know, yes and no. Right. I think, I think sometimes, you know, me personally, I've like always kind of loved the smaller sets. Like there's, there's something I hate about, um, having like 50 people on set and everyone watching monitor and like, it can be a very like intense thing. And and I think there is something I like about like a cozy set where everyone like trusts and knows each other and, and understands each other. Um, and it makes for like a more intimate kind of filmmaking process. So I don't know. A part of me likes the smaller crew sizes. Like I've always kind of been into that. Even before the pandemic, you always kind of rocked with like a smaller crew. Yeah. I mean, like one thing I always say to producers, like before I start a project, like all, I'd, I'd much rather have, um, you know, extra shooting days in a smaller crew. Like I, I'd, I if, if we're working on a budget, it's like, I would much rather have 10 days instead of seven days 
and I'll lose whatever 40% of the crew members you have for me. Cause for me, it's about like having that time to like explore and experiment and try things and like feel like you're not always stuck in a corner. Cause I think with really rushed rush schedules when there's like a ton of people on set, it can be very easy for you to like be shooting something that isn't working and you all know it's not working and there's nothing you can really do. You like have to continue shooting because if you don't, you're just not going to make your day. And like, that's like the worst feeling, you know? So like what I like to do is like, okay, this isn't working. Let's, let's rethink this. Let's, let's try it a different way. And, and I think having that extra time, like gives you the, the, the flexibility to try that, you know? For sure. Well, I mean, we kind of already started, but I guess... <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm just like jumping in here. I love it. That's what we do. Um, yeah. I guess my first question is how... When did you know that you, that you wanted to be a DP? Yeah. Um, it's a good question. I mean, I, I was, I'm very lucky in the sense that like, I think my, my parents were like super... They were journalists when I was growing up. Mm. So like, you know, they are always around cameras. So like, you know, they have photos of me when I'm like three with like their little like, you know, camcorder or whatever, like playing around with things. So I, I think I was always like drawn to the camera element of things. And, and um, I, I just didn't know that that was what cinematography was. I just thought it, you know, I thought that was like what the director did, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and then I think when it became really clear is uh, I eventually, I went to USC for my last two years of film school. That's like how I, kind of landed in LA and I don't know I think I was I started getting a lot of directing opportunities there and when I directed I think the films like were beautiful uh but they weren't very good <laughs> and I think it's because I was putting like too much effort into the visual elements of things and I was and I was sometimes forgetting about the the kind of the performances and the characters and, and the script and like I was just too oriented on the visual storytelling people would always be like, oh, your film looked amazing. And I'd be like, what else did you think? And they're like, oh, the actor was a little weird. And I'd be like, okay, I, I think, I think like the visual side of this is what appeals to me a lot more. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so I think it was like, you know, kind of at USC where I really was like, okay, I want to be a DP. And like, I, I just started kind of shooting as many projects as I could for everyone I knew. Like I just was always trying to pitch myself as like the DP. Yeah. Since, yeah. since your parents were like journalists, is that how you've got into the, like the New York times op docs and stuff? Is that? No, I mean, so my mom, funny enough. So she like started as a journalist and then she switched to like, um, she did like a lot of like HGTV programming, like stuff like that. Like she opened a production company. So she was doing like home renovation shows and stuff like that. So like, you know, not necessarily like what I would, I ever wanted to do but it gave me like the opportunity to at least like be on those sets, like as a PA or whatever, or like as like a little camera assistant, mm -hmm. like helping with these, like kind of more kind of factual television DPs. Um, so, the, you know, I, I got all that experience so that when I did get to film school, I was like, I was already very technically savvy. Um, but the whole New York times op doc stuff like that, that definitely came uh, much later down the line and, and later in my career. Yeah which we can go into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so like, how did you, I mean, I guess you kind of like talked, talked about it, but um, like that realization you had when you didn't want to be a director and you're like, okay, I should focus more visually. Like, yeah. 
Yeah. You just kind of like just went out the gate running like into DP work, I guess, or just, mm. just more of a slower well, transition. It's funny. My story's funny. Um, cause I think when you realize you're, you don't want to be a director, it's actually kind of a, a hard pill to swallow at first. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like realizing that, like I, I did this film at, at USC, like the, the big film project in undergraduate film is, is called a 480 and it's like your, it's your final year. And it's where, you know, there's one director and then like you get like a DP and you get a production designer and you get an editor and you get all these people who are in your semester, but they're kind of working on your project. Mm-hmm. So if you are, if you get a directing job on a 480, that's like a big deal. So I got that and I was like, okay, like this is my big chance. Like, you know, I find, you know, this school gives you like $10,000, which at the time you're like, whoa, like that's a ton of money to make a short. <laughs> right. Uh, and so you like work on that and, and uh, yeah, I mean, again, I just kind of like, we got to the final screening and, and it's like, everyone just was, you know, thought it was beautiful, but not really a great film. And I think that was like a hard soul searching experience to learn, like, okay, maybe I'm actually not the best at directing. Yeah. Um, but funny enough, like while I was at USC, like I was like into all sorts of stuff, like as a technical school, it's pretty interesting. Cause like they have a great cinematography department, but they also have a really great like sound department. Mm-hmm. And I was really into sound design and I was like a cool. sound TA for a little bit. And so like, I loved, um, I loved kind of like the, the idea of like sound designing movies at one point, I was really into that. So when I got out of school, like I was like doing all sorts of stuff. I was like sound designing, I was camera assisting, I was like editing, I was like doing all these jobs and like, I would just like not sleep and like lose, I was losing my mind. But I think I knew like, and I think the more I shot, the more I was like, okay, what life do I want to live? Like, do mm-hmm. I want to live in a cave sound editing or do I want to like be out on these adventures? And like, the more I shot, the more it was like, Oh, I can go to Japan and shoot, or I can go to, you know, New York and shoot. And like, you start to kind of develop that lifestyle. So that was like really appealing as well. Um, so I kind of like slowly learned that like DP was the the lifestyle that like most appealed to me. And, and, you know, it's just a very adventurous way of living. Like you're always, For sure. you're never home. You're always, you're always out and about. And like, that was, I think where I felt most inspired. I, I felt that when I was in those sound design suites, I was just like, you know, I'm just in a cave and I'm not experiencing life, but something about mm. DPing and like experiencing these adventures and seeing new places, like that's when I could do like my best work. Mm-hmm. When, what was the, the gig that you had where you, realized like i'm a professional dp like i am <laughs> i'm there yeah uh it's so i i probably i would say it was a, it was a music video um where i felt extremely overwhelmed um the the director you know in school he was like known as like the best like he he always made the best films visually technically story storytelling and I did a film eventually with him called The Dropbox, a feature doc, um, which did relatively well. But he hired me to do a music video. And I went into this music video knowing he was a better DP than me. Mm. Like, even though he's a director, I knew he was much better than me. And it was like, oh, we're going to shoot with like a red and we're going to get like cranes and we're going to do some underwater shots. and We're going to shoot at a beach and we're going to shoot at all these. It was like a seven day music video. Holy crap. Like so many times I was like prepping and I didn't know what I was doing then. Like I didn't even like you know, we need like a remote follow focus. Like what's that? (laughs) Uh, and like, we need steady cam. Like, so I didn't know what I was doing. And like, it kept going through my head. Like, 
I just need to, I need to drop out. I need to figure out a way to get out of this. Cause like, I'm just going to make a fool of myself and something like inside my head was like, you just can't do that. You just mm. have to like jump into the unknown. And that ended up being like the most amazing week of my life where I like, you know, I've got the most beautiful stuff I've ever shot. And I like proved to myself and to like people around me that I could do it. And I think that was like the confidence boost I needed to like say, okay, I can actually do this professionally like i i'm you know i have the confidence to think that i'm i'm, I'm like pretty good at this um but i feel like if that shoe went bad i probably wouldn't be a dp <laughs> like i think i would have been so traumatized that like i probably wouldn't be able to do it but luckily the shoot went well yeah i think that's great that you're like you were thrown into the deep end and then you're just like well i'm here like i have to figure it out yeah and i think that's really valuable like i still to this day on so many projects I do, I have no clue how I'm going to like get through it technically. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, I think as a DP, even like Roger Deakins, like you're constantly going through things that are new technical challenges that you haven't done before. So whether it be like a techno crane or like, we're going to do like a black arm Ronin rig on a pickup truck, or we're going to mm -hmm. do an underwater shot here with underwater lighting. Like there's always a new technical challenge. That's really uncomfortable. Right. So I think DPs like have to be very comfortable being uncomfortable. Like that's, you have to just like force yourself to like not drop out. Yeah. Even though everything inside you is saying like, Oh, just don't do this gig. You'll learn. And then you'll do a different one later. Yeah. Especially nowadays. Now that, now there's just like so many more elements thrown into it as far as like shooting on film, digital, like cranes. Oh yeah. Stabilizers, oh, yeah. steady cam. Like there's just so much new elements being thrown in the game. Yeah. I'm constantly in meetings where like a director's pitching an idea and I'm like, Oh yeah, no problem. But then in my head, I'm like, Oh, <laughs> like, how am I going to do this? Right. Like, this is like impossible. Like we don't have the money. Like how, this is crazy. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you normally like, yeah. like work with the same people or is it like different people too? Like as far as your gaffers and stuff? Yeah. I mean, I think the, the thing, the funny thing about my career is like, for whatever reason, I've been like labeled as like the travel guy. So like, I feel like, you know, pre COVID at least maybe 80% of my jobs were actually like outside of LA. Um, so, you know, if, if you have the budget, it's great to like bring your local team with you. But I think one thing I've really loved is just like, again, like with that whole embracing discomfort thing is you just have to learn to be like, okay, I I'm open to like working with whatever team right. is in this country. So like, okay, it's a Japanese team and only like two of them can understand me. Like we have to like figure out a way to like, scribble out the lighting plan and like communicate that way cool. or like i shoot a lot in india where like none of the groups know what you're saying but you can kind of communicate by just like pointing at things and like you know giving little hand signals and like learning the words for like dim up and like pan left and like things like that um so yeah i mean in la i love like my core crew but it's funny how like little i get to work with them when you when you visit places like how do you i guess i don't know it's kind of like when you bring a camera to like a place and like to some people that live there, it's, it's, you know, the experience of looking around the place is kind of dulled for them. But when you go there for the first time, it's like all brand new. Um, do you find yourself when you go to like a new place, like even for some kind of heaven, the villages and like, or India, do you find yourself like developing the style as soon as you get in there? Or do you kind of already know what you're kind of in for before you see? Well, the, yeah. I, I mean, I think there's two parts, like one thing I actually think that I'm really weary of that maybe I did poorly in my career is I think there's a lot of, um, and like people in foreign countries would make fun of me at first for this. 
Cause like you go to a foreign country and like you as the foreigner want to like, Oh, I want to go shoot in like the slums or, or I want to go film this cow that's roaming around this field. And you're kind of coming with a Western point of view, right? Right. What you think this place is. And in a way it's a, it, it actually is a little disrespectful to the culture. Like mm. for instance, in India, it's like every American film you see in India, like Slumdog Millionaire, it's all shot in like slums and like, you know, shows like really poor parts of India that actually aren't representative of the whole country. Right. So a lot of like travel jobs, it's kind of been me turning that off and saying like, oh, how do I actually approach this place in what, what it really is rather than mm. what the westernized version of it is. Um, that's been like an interesting thing to learn. Um, but yeah, I mean, if we're, if we're talking about like the, the, some kind of heaven, the villages specifically, which is, um, you know, uh, one of the weirdest places I've ever been, like <laughs> the villages, Florida is like hands yeah. down, maybe the weirdest place I've ever shot. Um, I definitely find a lot of joy in like going to a place and experimenting with things and like trying different techniques and kind of finding what's right for the place or the location. Yeah. So especially on documentaries, I like, I kind of think the worst thing is when a director comes and says, okay, this is the style for it. We're going to shoot mm. this segment and then this segment and this, I like, I like documentaries where we go in and we have like no plan, right. you have like a vague plan and you really go and you kind of find out what it, what it is while you're there. Cause you know, it seems silly to like pick a style when you don't actually know what the place is. Exactly. Yeah. 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 When you, yeah. when you guys first, I guess we'll start talking about some kind of heaven. Um, when you guys first, yeah. uh, I guess, how did the project start? Like, how did you get, uh, yeah. how did you start collabing with Lance and like, you know, how did that all come to be? Yeah. Um, so Lance, uh, is one of the most like talented filmmakers I've had the, the pleasure of working with. Um, and he's extremely young. Um, so, I th so I think when I was at USC, actually, I think Lance was like 14 or 15 and he reached out to me and was like, Hey, do you want to, you know, I'm a filmmaker. Here's some of my work. Would you ever want to collab? I know I'm really young, but I'm just interested in working with you. Yeah. And yeah, he, I think he was, yeah, I think he was 15 years old. Um, and so, you know, I read the email and was kind of like, uh, I, you know, I don't know what to think of this. Like, you know, when I was 15, the films I made were like so terrible, but then I watched his films, you know, he, he had maybe, you know, four or five Vimeo links. And I think like three of them had had staff picks on Vimeo, which like when I was at USC, like that, you know, that was like the Holy grail. Right. If you like right. got a staff like pick. Like that was like, yeah, that was like our Oscar. And I was like, what? I was like, how did he do that? Um, and it was all just stuff he shot himself. Like, um you know he made a great film about his grandfather who um had dementia called um quicksand and it was kind of about his grandfather's like final months and kind of like the deterioration but but it was it was an interesting film emotionally but also just stylistically like he did such interesting things so i watched those and i was like literally i was like these films are better than any film i've ever seen at usc by like undergrad or graduate filmmaker like and i was like I was like, okay, like, yeah, let's, let's work together. So we did a film uh, called um, the off season, which was about this kind of like football player um, who was like struggling with his career and, you know, 
wasn't doing very well. And it was like, everything he said was very motivational, but there was this context of failure in his life. So there was, it was like a weird film about like, we had seen so many sports docs at the time about, you know, it was all shot on like steady cam at dusk. And it was like motivational about like some athlete being like push ahead. And we were kind of like, let's not make that. Let's actually make this kind of dark. So he said all these inspirational things, but the vibe of it was very kind of like contradictory to that. And it was, it's, I can't say it's a great film, but like, it was an interesting exploration where I was like, oh, this, this kid is like really up to something. Yeah. Something different. Yeah. And then uh, a couple of years later, we made a film that's one of my, to this day, maybe like my favorite short, uh, which is called long-term parking. Yeah. I love that one. Which he, yeah, I don't know. It just has like a special place in my heart and like the characters, like the setting totally about, you know, lonely kind of people who lived in, who work in the airline industry, who, who live in a trailer at an LAX parking lot. Um, so yeah, I mean, Lance is kind of, you can kind of start to see a trend that Lance is like films are about communities and kind of odd lifestyles and like right. what meaning people find in those. So he's from Florida. He had known about the villages and it was kind of right up his alley to make a film about this community. Um, and, you know, he had made a lot of New York Times op docs. So they came on for like the initial funding. And so we went there and mostly just to make like a sizzle to see if there was anything there. And we went for a month and we kind of came out with like a hundred portraits of like different characters. And we were like, wow, this is like the most incredible place on earth. Like we could not <laughs> believe how surreal and strange it was. Yeah. It's like dark heaven. Yeah. It was dark heaven. And then it was just a process of like slowly narrowing down the characters and finding out what this film really was. I think in the beginning, it was much more about the place and like how weird this place was. And, and I think what we learned is that what was actually more interesting is like, who are the people here and what are their stories? And like, it's, a, it's an interesting thing to think like, oh, old people have problems too. They don't have it all figured out, right. you know? Like, I think we have this association that as you get older, your life just kind of stabilizes, but in, in many ways it gets more chaotic. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. That How did, so like the first time you guys went there, was it sh like, I'm sure the style developed when you guys actually made the feature. Yeah. Like, what did it start out like? Were you guys shooting like 16 by nine or like, was it four, three from the yeah. jump or like? Yeah. Um, so we, yeah, I mean, this can go in a little bit to the references we looked at because a lot of the things we looked at, we looked at this Larry Salton, uh, photo series. He's like a, this amazing photographer who, and he did a, a series called pictures from home, which was kind of like a portrait of his parents living in Palm Strings and is very kind of melancholy and mysterious. And, um, it's just a really interesting portrait of kind of retirement and, and the, mundaneness of it um and it was all very wide and um kind of surreal in its framing and and had the characters very small in frame so that was like the main reference and you know you know with references it's always like in the back of your head but when you actually get on set the practicality of like what you actually have to do a lot of the time erases some of those references definitely um so yeah i mean we're shooting like handheld and and we're shooting 16.9 and we don't really know what it is and it, it felt quite messy and there's something that was contradicting in my mind with this messy kind of fluid style with against this very surreal backdrop we're shooting in a very realistic way and yet the thing we were filming was very unrealistic so there's like a contradiction there and it was really bugging us uh 
yeah, it was bugging me beyond belief because I knew the potential for the project and I was like, we haven't found out our style yet. Right. Um, so I don't know. I think after the third night, we're, you know, we're freaking out and I'm like bringing the footage in Resolve and, and all of a sudden I like put four three bars on one of the interview frames. And we were like, whoa, we were like, whoa, that's, that's like kind of interesting. And we were like, okay. And then you're, you're kind of like, okay, well, is this motivated? And you're like, okay, it is motivated because this, this community is all about kind of recreating old time America. So it was like, okay, you know what? We're going to recreate like- That's what they grew up on. Yeah. And we're going to recreate those old time movies. We're going to go to that like, classic aspect ratio. Um, and then from there, it was like with the four three, all of a sudden it's like four three and tripod just like make sense together. I think if you look at four three films in the past, like five years, like it's like a ghost story, lighthouse, um, you know, cold war. Yeah. Cold war. They're all very formalistic in their approach. It's like mostly steady cam and tripod. Right. It's like handheld for whatever reason does not work with that aspect ratio particularly well. So then it's the thing of like, okay, well, can you shoot a documentary on tripod? Like aren't we going to miss a lot of stuff? Like, isn't that kind of risky? And the more we did it, the more you kind of realize like, okay, these, these people are pretty old. They're not like, they're not like running around all over the place. <laughs> a lot of the time it's like, we get to their house and they're like playing checkers and you set up a really interesting frame of them playing checkers. And then you go in and you just get like random coverage of the two people. So it just kind of fit that like, okay, we got lucky that like this subject matter really worked for the, the still kind of, framing and what that allowed us to do was then go back to that Larry Sultan reference and say okay what we're going to try and do here is make every frame like a, a still photograph cool in, it, in its meaning and in its uh, architecture is that you kind of frame up your wide in a way where it feels like it belongs in a photo book um, so that was kind of like how it developed and and once we found that style it's like we flew like once we knew that it made the filmmaking so much easier because we, we quickly kind of learned our approach within that of how to move the camera. Was, would you, did you feel like there was a lot of communication like in the field or like would, since you guys were so fluid in your style, do you feel like Lance could go like talk to the subject while you set yeah. up and like, he, like you guys kind of had a, I don't know, yeah. telekinetic. Yeah. I mean, I think it's very, it's a lucky relationship. And I think with docs, you really want directors that, you have a full trust in each other because like I've shot docs where I'm on headsets with the director and then you have like a client on headsets mm. and like you're shooting Verite and you have all these people in yeah. your ears being like, Oh, go closer. No, be on Vanessa. No, <laughs> be on Bob. And it's like, it doesn't work. Like, yeah, I, yeah, right. you know, you have, you, it, it's a mess. It's a nightmare when you do that. And it sounds like reality TV. Oh or something. Yeah, yeah. It's awful. It's all like, it's the <laughs> least creative way to shoot a doc. Um, so I think that you have to have that mutual trust and, and Lance and I's sensibilities are, we're like always pushing each other. Like, let's make this more absurd. Like instead of shooting this scene, you know, in a white wall room, let's shoot it, you know, at this kooky church with these, a camel in the background, right. you know? So it was like constantly us trying to like one up, like how weird can we make this? And a lot of that's like design. Um, but yeah, I mean, Lance can just look at me and he can go like, okay, pull out a little. And then, I know to go back to a wide shot, right? But it's a lot of just kind of like us looking at each other and communicating that way. Mm -hmm. Do you, yeah. I know like a lot of docs, they they get in trouble for manipulating their images too much. And yeah, how do you feel about that? Because some kind of heaven is definitely, you're not shooting it yeah. the way that you def, that you see it in real life. Like, Yeah, 
I mean, so I shoot a lot of Verite docs, right? Where it's like, okay, we never construct anything. We're fully handheld. We're mm -hmm. in the moment. And like, that's a, that's something I love as well. But I think Lance and I have always been more interested in like pushing the barriers of like what a documentary is mm -hmm. and having people question like, oh, is this documentary or is this fiction? We like have always liked that um, intersection. And I think as we shoot more together and as we develop like narrative features together, we're very much in, in that world of like, okay, well, we're always going to kind of experiment with the documentary format, even when we're shooting narrative work. Mm -hmm. So I like like that idea a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, what we tried to do is like, you construct things to an element where like, okay, we're going to put in this really surreal place, but the emotional things happening on screen, those are real. Mm -hmm. Those aren't things we're constructing. Those are things actually happening. We just constructed it to be in a place. And maybe I said, let's shoot at sunset. Right. So you're going to have a really interesting looking image, but the emotional elements happening within the frame are real. Yeah. So. I don't know. It's an interesting debate. I guess like, I don't know if I even consider some kind of heaven, like a true documentary. It's almost like a, 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 a hybrid of documentary and narrative, you know, it's real people's lives, but it is constructed to an extent. Yeah. I, I was, I was thoroughly impressed on how you guys were able to do that. Um, I guess like, I don't know, it kind of might be just a question. I'm just like so curious about when I watched it is like, how yeah. did you, uh, I guess, how did you, keep the flow of like a cinema verite moment happening, you know, through your eyes. Like for instance, yeah. when like, I think her name's Barbara, one of the characters, she was yeah. like talking to that margarita guy, like in the back of uh, yeah. his trunk. And I think like it started as a wide shot and then it moved into like a medium shot, but like, it seemed like yeah. the conversation like picked up exactly where it left off in the wide shot so perfectly. And it seemed natural to them too. And that's interesting, right? Like, People are always asking me that they're like, Oh, did you do two cameras or yeah, like, right. What was the workflow there? And, um, I think a lot of it was just like a lot of conversations, um, drag out for a really long time. Mm, so mm -hmm. if they're talking about margaritas, they might be talking about margaritas for 10 minutes, but it, within the film, it's only 45 seconds. So, gotcha. you know, well, as soon as, as soon as I have the amount I need in the wide, and there's a lull in the conversation, I just, as quick as I can, like run up there with the tripod, level it, focus. And within like 15 seconds, you're, you're still going. Amazing. So, yeah, I mean, I think our times where I definitely like ruined moments for sure. Like I'm sure the editor has been through like tons of moments where I like messed up and like moved at a really emotional time. Um, but when you get it right, it's, it's, it's nice. Right. Like, yeah. It's um, yeah. It's cool. How did the elderly people, how were they, how receptive were they to the cameras being around them? Yeah. I mean, it depends. Uh, it depends on who they were, right? Like, um, I guess there's four central characters. It's like, it's, it's Dennis who lives in a van on the offskirts of the villages. There's Barbara, who's like a widow, who's kind of depressed, like doesn't like it there. And then there's Reggie and Anne who are like a married couple. Um, and they're having like all these troubles with Reggie's like drug use. Uh, and Barbara was like, an, you know, Barbara always wanted to be an actress. So, you know, this element to her was like really interesting of we're making a movie about you, but at the same time, it's like somewhat constructed. So she loved it, right? Like she was always like, oh my God, like, 
like you want to film me like doing a performance acting class which like, was amazing so cool. too she did so yeah good. i mean yeah no and it's so cool because like you know aronofsky you know came on to produce and like he loves barbara and like is always telling barbara like barbara you're an incredible actress <laughs> she, she like loves it um but yeah to varying degrees like dennis you know dennis is just like a renegade like he's like a, one of the funniest people i've ever met and he loves the camera reggie who's like a you know, kind of kooky guy who's into yoga and, and, you know, drugs and all that sort of stuff. He loved hanging out with us, loved the camera. I think the hardest person to kind of figure out was Anne. Anne is married to Reggie and yeah. we met Reggie first. Um, we were at one of, this is a funny story. We were at a, a village's uh, like nightclub and we were filming, we were filming some other character who isn't really in the movie that much. And Reggie kept, we hadn't met him yet he kept going in front of camera and like doing these crazy, like Tai Chi dances. <laughs> and we're like, what? Like this guy keeps ruining our shot. Like <laughs> I'm doing like these slow zooms on this character on the dance floor. And like this guy keeps like doing these Tai Chi moves in front of camera. And like Lance is like, Oh, like we, like we need to like meet this guy. Yeah. The first time we filmed with him was at the swimming pool when he's doing all those drugs and there's the like lightning. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, so we were just like, oh, this guy's the guy. Like, this is our character. Like, this is who we should focus on. And and we slowly kind of met Anne, his wife, just through filming. And the more we filmed with Reggie, the more we were actually like, wow, Anne's really interesting. Like, Anne puts up with a lot. Um, but she was highly uncomfortable with the camera. Mm-hmm. So that took, like, weeks of, like, us being around and us slowly kind of, like, integrating the camera into their lives for her to become comfortable with us. And I think it's valuable to just like, you have to become friends with these people and like, you have to have empathy for these people and like have a love for these people because like at the end of the day, you're spending like long days together, you know, doing relatively hard things and you have to build that connection as a crew where like the producer, the director, the sound person, me, like we all get along with them really well. And like, they're big figures in my life. So I think it's just like building those relationships allows everyone to kind of be comfortable with the, the camera and then, and then trust you. And I think it was useful that Lance had other good films because they could watch those and understand like why we were filming her sitting in bed for like 20 minutes. Like that can be very confusing. Right. That's interesting. <laughs> you know? Do you, do you ever feel yeah. like, I mean, this could be a question to all the doc stuff you you've done um, as someone yeah. who's like, you know, shot docs too. It's like, it's like how close and how far can you get to a subject during like some certain, like, I guess the just intruding on, on, on some of their, yeah some of the, the moments in their lives and like how close and yeah. how far can you get at the same time? And like, how, how do you feel yeah. about that in, in your work or with some kind of heaven? Like, how do you approach that? Yeah. Uh, no, it's a good question. Like, cause with lens, like I'm very particular about lensing, you know, in, in any work, I like, I, I generally, unless it's like a zoom lens that's like specifically like a, a servo zoom move i i really hate long lenses like I, I i hate um i hate how unattached you feel like it feels like you're 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 shooting these characters from a distance and it doesn't it doesn't feel particularly intimate to me so i i've never liked shooting from like a distance with long lenses at all um i've always like a lot of films like i'll just shoot on like a 35 and forces me to get my wides and my like close-ups in like a 35 and I think when you have to be like that close to someone's face um it does interesting things because as an audience member you can feel that proximity 
you can feel, I don't know, I feel like you're closer to the character. Um, so that takes time, I think, because these people aren't actors and like you are feeling the real life. So I think when I start, I almost kind of treat shooting documentaries like you would uh, shooting like um, a wild animal. Like you want to start at a distance and like you want to come into the space and you want to say like, I'm here with a camera. Like uh, you can acknowledge that I'm here and like, I'm here, I'm filming you. And then slowly you kind of like move in and, and you kind of let them see that you're moving in and you move closer and you move closer. It's like a slow process. I don't think you can walk into a scene and immediately shoot that. Mm -hmm. You have to kind of work your way in. So it's kind of massaging that. So a lot of the scenes in some kind of heaven start as a super wide and then I go into a two shot and then I slowly get a bit closer and then I slowly get into like a, a, an extreme close up on a, on a wide lens. Um, and that can be intrusive for sure. Like I don't think it's always the most comfortable thing, but I think the more you do it with people, the more they, uh, they become comfortable with it and then it can become a part of your style. You know, we tried never to go above uh, 35 unless it was one of those like servo zoom shots. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah. How, how yeah. is like, um, I guess, I mean, you kind of talked about the relationship you had with Lance, but I mean, I'm sure you've worked with many other directors and like, yeah. um, what do you, what do you look for in, in a relationship with a director or, you know, I'm sure like they're different every time, but like, what do you tend to gravitate towards or what do you, what, what benefits yeah. you the most? Um, it's a really good question. I mean, I think first and foremost, I think there's a perception that a director needs to be all knowing. So I think a lot of unexperienced directors I work with, um, actually come in and they're like, Oh, this is exactly what we're doing. We're going to shoot it this way. We're going to do that. We're going to do this coverage. We're going to make it look like this. Here's my references. I want it to look exactly like that. I think that's actually a really kind of destructive way of working. Um, I think it's always good to come in with a plan, but I think the best directors I know are people who are like super open and super willing to try things and super uh, willing to experiment and, and will come to their crew and say like, you know, I kind of was thinking this, but I don't exactly know. What do you guys think? Yeah. I like love that really collaborative relationship. Um, and I think it ultimately when you, when everyone on the team feels like they can like open up and express what they think could be best. Um, that leads to some really special things. Whereas like when everyone's afraid of the director, uh, oftentimes you'll get something quite generic mm -hmm. um, because no one's willing to try weird things, right? Like if yeah. I don't feel safe with the director, I'm not gonna try, like I'm not gonna try shooting a documentary for three on tripod with the director who's very kind of uptight. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So what, maybe what makes Lance is great is that you can pitch that idea and he'll be like, yeah, let's try it. You know, it's cool. like Lance is just like so open in terms of that. And then, you know, on a deeper level, like I'm interested in emotional human stories. So I think directors who are empathetic and who can approach a documentary um, with that mindset is really important and not going in thinking you just need to criticize someone immediately. Like, even if I'm making a film about the worst person on earth, I want to go in with an empathetic mind of like trying to understand them. Definitely. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah. I've often, oftentimes wondered like what's the DP's role um, with a director that's super technical. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I work with a lot of really technical directors. Like I, I work with this music video 
director Jack Baggert who does like oh yeah he's great yeah he's amazing like he does most of the like TDE like Kendrick Lamar schoolboy Q type videos um and he knows everything right he he knows every single lens he knows VFX he knows all that stuff um and he's highly technical and a lot of times he comes up with ideas I didn't even think of but he still has that collaborative mindset that's cool of like Bowen what do you, what do you think will work here even though he's really technical he he's open to trying things right um but yeah again i think the worst directors i work with are ones where it's one of their first jobs and um they're so nervous that they're trying to you know act like they're a general on set or something (laughs) it's a weird thing yeah what i guess uh what are like what is your, I don't know, what is your process, I guess is my question, but I, you do like music videos, commercials, narrative and doc yeah. and like, I'm sure the process has changed a lot, but like, um, I don't know what, what is your process when it, when it comes to, yeah, <laughs> uh, no, it's a, it's a big question. It I is, think, yeah. I think every, I think everything's different. Um, you know, if I can talk about myself as an overall yeah, kind of artist, I think my process is generally, and I've said this kind of before, is just trying not to over plan. Um, I'm a very kind of fluid cinematographer and, and the things I'm feeling on set are often the things that guide my decisions. So, you know, when I'm in a documentary scene and, and something emotional is happening and I'm feeling a connection to those people, those very guttural reactions guide where I put my camera and how I'm going to expose it and light it and all those things. And same thing on a narrative set, right? When I watch the blocking and I feel the emotion of the scene, a lot of the time my shot list goes out the window and I'm saying, oh, you know what? We should, even though this shot, even though the scene has three people in it, we should just play this whole scene on a close up of that one character because it's actually about her. So I don't know. I've always just tried to stay, you know, commercials and music videos, obviously you have to plan to an extent, but I've always tried to kind of bring a very fluid sense of, uh, cinematography into my work where I'm letting kind of those emotional reactions guide what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've talked about a lot on this podcast, but like how, when you're in pre-production, you're, you're dreaming basically, but yeah. then when you're actually on in production and you're shooting, it's the reality yeah. and how stressful it can be when your dream is not becoming your reality. So if <laughs> yeah. you just relaxed and become fluid, yeah. um, your life would be a lot better and maybe even more creative on set yeah and and i think as you get better like i think any director and any dp can come up with like brilliant concepts and and brilliant ideas for what they want their things to look like but i think as you get better you learn that obviously you always want to be open but as you get better it's like the best directors what they dreamed it actually is there Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you look at like ridley scott or like David Fincher or like Christopher Nolan, they all have fluidity to an extent. I mean, Fincher probably not, but <laughs> what they dream is almost exactly what happens on screen. Right. And that is always, that is always amazing to me. Cause yeah, it's not really how I've ever worked. Right. I've always been like very kind of open to beautiful things that happen on set. For sure. I heard that uh Fincher, if like he like measures how high the camera is and he measures oh, it to yeah. the inch. And it has to be like yeah. that the whole time. Yeah. Insane. And I'm sure it's like probably exact with like the actor's eye line or whatever it is. Yeah. Like he's just, but you know, there is something about a Fincher film where sometimes I feel like 
like I love Fincher movies, but I sometimes do feel like there's a lack of um, poeticism to his filmmaking because it is so mm -hmm. precise, right? And sometimes I just feel a little disconnected from the characters. So it has its strengths and values, right? Whereas totally. you watch you watch a Terrence Malick film and it's the opposite. It's all feeling, mm -hmm. which can be really great sometimes. And then sometimes it can be really kind of muttering. So it's it's finding that balance, right? In my ideal world, the film perfect filmmakers a crossbreed between Fincher yeah, and Malick. Terrence Fincher. You want to be a Terrence Fincher? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which is maybe like Chloe Zhao now. Maybe yeah, I love her. One. Yeah, you know, yeah. Um, so as I want to be an up and coming DP and I was just wondering yeah. like what the benefits of having a management company and what's the benefits mm. of being in local 600? Yeah. I mean, those are good questions. I think, I think when I was really fresh, I, I had such a craving to like have an agent thinking that that was like going to be what made my career. Um, and it's not, it's an, an agent's a great thing to have because essentially the agent is a, is a barrier between you and, and the very kind of like political sides of filmmaking. So like the very awkward conversations of money and, um, business things that I hate talking about and am awful at talking about, they handle that. So there's a disconnect and the producer is thinking of you just as a creative person. That's, that's really valuable. Um, because when you get on bigger projects and you don't have an agent and you're doing these negotiations, it can lead to a lot of like tension. Mm -hmm. so agents really valuable in that sense. And I, and I think an agent is helpful in, in terms of like really having you hash, mesh out, like what is the route you want to go? And if this project isn't helping you go down that path, then you shouldn't be doing it. So they kind of help you narrow in on like what you actually want to be doing. But mm -hmm. I don't think it's that important, right? At the end of the day, 95% of my jobs still come from my connections and people have seen my work yeah um they'll get you a job every now and then but you know it's not it's not a make or break thing for your career being in the union has that gave you more jobs or has that made you have to turn down jobs because well yeah with the union i think there's a lot a lot of people think that if you're in the union you can't do non-union jobs mm -hmm. and that's that's not actually the case um if you're in the union you can still do non-union work um but if you're going on to a union project, you have to be in the union. Mm -hmm. So you do get to a point in your career where you start to get offered commercials and films that are union and, and you have, you just have to join. Um, so it is important in terms of like a stepping stone thing of like taking that next, you know, step towards a higher level of, of jobs. Uh, you kind of have to join. Yeah, for sure. But yeah. It's annoying. It's very expensive. <laughs> it's very expensive. Yeah. That's just the one, the one side of the business that I don't really know too much about is just management and, and unions. Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I don't think it's, I get like, so a lot of young DPs kind of reach out to me and ask like, how do I get an agent? And it's mm -hmm. like, it's like, you can reach out to agents and, and do that. But ultimately you want an agent reaching out to you, right? Mm -hmm. You want them to love your work and be interested in what you're doing. So it's like, make good work like do projects you're really passionate about, do things that you think will get eyes on it. And, and that's how you're going to get an agent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's such a good point for sure. Yeah. Do you have anything else, Anthony? Um, I guess, uh, I guess I'll do the, the classic, like what are some of your inspirations, but it doesn't have to be film yeah. or photography, like anything. Yeah. Really. I should see, uh, give me a sec here. Actually, <laughs> I think I'm, I think I'm using it as a cropping thing here. <laughs> so this, this is, 
This is Todd. Oh, is Hito. that Todd? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah Todd, Todd Hito is uh, a huge, a huge reference for my, uh, yeah, for my work. I just love like, you know, a I love those photographic frames and like this was a thing on the villages as well. But I think just like the sense of kind of like loneliness that he portrays within these very kind of still images is really interesting. Yeah. Um, another one is uh, we were talking about is Sebastian Sogato. And oh, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, he does black and white photography like all over the world and has like some of the most beautiful series I've ever seen. Um, in terms of filmmakers, like, I mean, I love so much Terrence Malick work, not so much his new stuff, but like if we're talking like Badlands mm -hmm. or like mm -hmm. Tree of Life or New World, like I think he's like a, a brilliant filmmaker. And then like something I'm always striving for on a tonal level and like a camera movement level that I feel is just like unachievable is like PTA. Like mm -hmm. so many times I like approach a film trying to like have that energy that he has in his work. Um, and I, it's just so hard to find. Yeah. I don't know how he does it. It's, it's just mind boggling, like the blocking in the camera and how it all works together. And on narrative work, I think that's where you really see the strength of a strong director who understands visual language. Cause I work with lots of directors I love who don't really understand cinematography, but I feel like you couldn't make a film like that if you didn't have a director who is extremely visual, mm -hmm. you know? Because it's true. about the two elements working together. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those are those are some of my kind of like film references, and I mean, I'm I'm like a huge Hoyt Hoyt guy. Oh yeah. I love I love, I love Interstellar. Uh, I love Dunkirk. I love kind of what he's doing. I love the kind of you know, if there's a, a DPI, we kind of want to strive towards being. It's like I love how organic his work feels but at the same time it's massive in scale and mm -hmm. but you know he's he's shooting a film about war and massive battles but at the heart of it it's it's kind of about close-ups on people's faces mm -hmm. so i think i think he's a really interesting filmmaker for sure and like earlier we were talking about the new we try and find a new technique every time we shoot Hoyt does yeah. that for every single movie he's always yeah heading up panavision designing new lenses or doing crazy stuff like that yeah i i heard in an interview with him it's like the first thing him and nolan talk about is like okay what's the like weird camera thing we're gonna try on this one <laughs> it's like yeah and dunkirk they're like okay we're gonna put an imax camera on you know these planes yeah it's like impossible uh so yeah i think that's that's really interesting what's what's next for you like what do you i mean if you're working on anything right now or what do you hope to be working on soon or yeah um so yeah, I mean, I think the 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 world is kind of now shifting more toward narrative feature filmmaking, and and that's kind of where more of my focus has been. Um, so yeah, definitely have a lot of kind of projects in the works. Uh, right before the pandemic, I shot my first kind of Netflix narrative series. Awesome. Uh, it's called Delhi Crime. It's pretty it's pretty interesting. It's kind of like True Detective meets India. Nice. Um, so that'll be, yeah, that'll be interesting. And then, yeah, I mean, Lance is a very kind of, I mean, he's probably one of my best friends and we, we talk on the phone like every other day. Um, so Lance is kind of trying to get into that narrative world and he's got a lot of really interesting projects that kind of use his documentary style, but now are kind of exploring narrative filmmaking. So we're hoping to get those going within the next couple months and we'll see, it'll be interesting. He's uh 
he's only 24, but uh, he's he's managed to do some crazy things so far. So yeah, that is I'm, excited. I'm excited to see what where he goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, yeah. your being sent by NASA to Mars, and <laughs> it's the one-way trip. Yeah. And you can only take three DVDs with you. What oh. three movies do you take? Oh man. <laughs> uh, uh, assassination of Jesse James, probably. Nice. Yeah, um, nice. Donnie Darko. Mm. <laughs> Weird choice. <laughs> uh, I love that. I like love that movie. Um, and uh, maybe Place Beyond the Pines. Cool. Mm. I love I have that a special place. A lot of people hate that movie. No, but, no I, like uh, I have it. a I have a special place in my heart for like that director and and yeah, Sean Bobbitt I think is like one of the great DPs. Like mm-hmm. if you're talking about a good mixture of realism and and kind of cinematic narrative filmmaking, I think like Place Beyond the Pines is like such a gorgeous look for a movie where it just feels so real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true that. It just blew me away. Love but, it. Yeah. Well, thank you awesome. so much for being thank on you, the podcast. Yeah. yeah, this is really fun. Yeah, thanks for taking the time, man. Um, where yeah, can, I appreciate where, it. Where can people find you, and do you have anything yeah. that you would like to promote? Um, well, I guess I just promote Some Kind of Heaven. Uh, it's uh, it's on like the VOD streamers right now, so you can get it on like Amazon Prime and Apple Movies and iTunes and all that sort of stuff. Um, and yeah, check it out. It's a really interesting weird documentary about the villages florida which is probably the weirdest place in america uh and uh yeah i don't know you can check out i mean i'm on instagram i'm just david bull and dp you can check check out my work and i appreciate talking to you guys is really interesting yeah yeah thank we'd you lo- david we'd love to get yeah, coffee with you on the uh i know it'd be fun yeah, yeah let's do it man when when, like, when we can <laughs> i know i'm just like i like, just poke me with this vaccine yeah, right? for real yeah. for real we're sure. tired of this yeah yeah man uh, cool. Yeah, have a good Sunday. All right. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, Thank later. you. All right, bye. Peace. And that's this week's episode. Thanks again for listening. And Katie couldn't be here, but she loves you guys. And she would also like for you guys to rate and review the podcast and share it with any of your filmmaker friends. Yes. Thank you, as always, for listening. And yeah, we have more exciting things brewing up here. And Thanks for joining us on this ride. Go, I can't stress it enough. Go check out his work. And yeah, thanks again, guys. All right. Peace. Later. (laughs)